on today's episode of the Real Foodology Podcast. I got back on the treadmill. 15 seconds became 20 seconds. Came back. 20 became 30. 30 became a minute. Next thing you know, I was running minutes. And from there, it became minutes to miles. And I think for a lot of people listening, it's more about being consistent and persistent in the journey versus looking at, I should be farther than what I am. So I actually took joy in going to the gym every day and seeing progress. It just became momentum. Hi, friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Real Foodology Podcast. I am your host, Courtney Swan. And as always, I am so happy and excited that you guys are here. Today's guest is Martinez Evans. He has an amazing story of motivation and what inspired him to get on the treadmill and start running marathons. He has a book called 300 Pounds and Running, and he shares his story with us about what motivated him to start doing marathons. He went from having never run a marathon, being in pain, and he and I also have similar life experiences that we went through when we were younger, and so we share a little bit about that. We hear from him what he learned in all of that and how it really shaped his life. So this was a really motivating conversation, and I hope that you guys love it. There's nothing more comforting than a warming cup of hot chocolate before bed. I know coming from me, that may sound a little counterintuitive because you're probably thinking, how is hot chocolate healthy for you? But I've got a little hack for you and it's called Organifi's Gold Chocolate. First and foremost, the most important thing here, it has one gram of total sugar in it. So you get the satisfaction of having a comforting, cozy little sweet treat after dinner without all the loaded sugar. And it's like with this one, you get a two for a two for one because you also have the added bonus of... Things like turmeric, lemon balm, turkey tail. There's also magnesium and there's reishi in there. So whenever I drink this at night before bed, it gets me really sleepy and ready to wind down. And it really improved my sleep. There's also a blend in there that helps with digestion. There's acacia, cinnamon, ginger, black pepper, and turmeric. So if you have this after dinner, it's also going to help with your digestion and it's going to get you ready for bed. My favorite thing about Organifi products outside of them being all organic, they're also glyphosate residue free. If you have listened to this podcast long enough or paid attention to my Instagram, you know that glyphosate is a huge, huge concern for all of us in this country. Glyphosate is a known carcinogen that is being sprayed. It's an herbicide that's being sprayed on all of our crops that are not organic. And it's also being leaked into organic products as well, organic foods. So this glyphosate residue free stamp is so incredibly important. And it's one of my favorite things about Organifi outside of their actual products, which I love. If you want to try this hot cocoa from Organifi or any of their other products that I mentioned today, make sure that you go to Organifi.com slash Real Foodology and you are going to save 20% on your order. Again, that's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash Real Foodology. Martinez, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today. I was actually listening to another podcast that you did and I'm so inspired by your story and I'm so excited to share it with my audience today. Thank you, Courtney. I'm glad to be here. Thank you so much. So for people that do not know your story and your book, can you tell people a little bit about how you started getting into marathons and just your whole journey with your health? Yeah. So all of this started back in 2012. Um, I was working at Men's Warehouse at the time. So I was working commission sales on my feet, eight to 10 hours a day. So I just want to pin that as I continue to tell the story. I was on my feet for eight to 10 hours a day on the sales floor hustling, right? in hard bottom dress shoes on concrete floor. So I started to develop some hip issues because of that. 
Went to go see a doctor. The doctor went to go send me to an orthopedic surgeon. And I'm sitting in this orthopedic surgeon's doctor's office. And he's looking at me and he's like, so um, you have some hip pain? I'm like, yes. And I go through the whole thing of like, I work in the warehouse. I'm on my feet all the time. I'm moving, I'm shaking. Used to be a, a football player. And, you know, just trying to get him up to speed. And he's like, okay, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And he was like, I know why you're in pain. I'm like, okay, like why? And he was like, it's because you're fat. Mm. <laughs> and I was like, taken aback. I was like, what? And then he went on this whole tyrant of like, you're fat. You got two options. You need to lose weight or die. You got the stomach of a pregnant woman. You need to get on a treadmill or on a track and start walking and all this other stuff. And I was still on the fact that he called me fat. Yeah, you're like, whoa. <laughs> like, back it up. <laughs> <laughs> like, I came here because my hip hurts and I've been on my feet in this store running around eight to two, eight to 10 hours a day. And you're telling me I'm fat. So then I go on this whole thing of like, well, screw you. Screw all of this you're talking about. If I wanted to, I can run a marathon. He laughs at me and tells me that's the most stupidest thing he heard in all of his years of practicing medicine. And if I ever ran a marathon, I would die on the course. Mm. So um, as much as I wanted to put hands on him, I did not. And um, I left at the doctor's office and I bought some running shoes and I started running that day. How did that make you feel with that doctor saying that to you? I think this is actually a really important part of your story because there's there's so much conversation happening right now online, especially with women. I think when they go to the doctor, women don't want to get weight anymore. They don't want to hear anything from their doctor about their weight. And I think we're doing people a disservice. You know, I think there's a way to do it that can be really sensitive to the person's experience because we don't want anyone feeling really bad about themselves, you know? But I think what your doctor did quite literally probably saved your life, you know? And so I think there's there's got to be this balance, this middle ground where our doctors are honest with us about the reality of the current situation so that we can do, like, make better choices and change. I don't know if he saved my life. <laughs> to wow, be, to be okay. Frank, I don't know if he saved like, my, my life. Like, did he change my life? Like, did my actions that preceded his interaction change my life? Absolutely. But I... I also think that I'm I'm not the the average individual. If an average individual went into the doctor's office and you're there because you're you're having hip pain, right? Whatever, or your knee hurt, or like whatever, your ankle, shoulder, whatever can be hurting. You go to the doctor because something's hurting. Hey, doc, my shoulder hurts. And instead of the doctor being like, okay, like let's figure out and let's treat the shoulder, he's like, well, you know, you know what, treat that shoulder. Like if your ass lost some weight and it's like, well, what that has to do with my shoulder. Right. So I think that the whole notion of um, the doctor saving my life, I don't necessarily think so, because that was the first time he ever meeting that doctor. He was an orthopedic surgeon. And like this is the first time I'm ever meeting him. So he don't know my background. He don't have anything of my charts and things of that sort. So I think for most people, um, it, it, it's a hit or miss, but I think overall it's about not uh, throwing preconceived notions around at a person where you're trying to seek help, right? Yeah. Um, now, 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 if this doctor was my uh, PCP and we've been on this journey and he's had um, this relationship with me, he understands what my blood panels look like. He understands like all of the 
other things I'm going with. Okay, like let's have a conversation, right? Mr. Evans, you're, you have high blood pressure. Let's try to treat that. Mr. Evans, your cholesterol is high. Like, let's try to treat that. But for a, a doctor to come in and just be like, you're fat and you're going to die, not knowing what I do. For example, that's one of the reasons I, I pinned. Um, I wanted to pin. I was on my feet working this commission sales job eight to 10 hours a day, on my feet yeah. all day, right? So mm-hmm. it's not like I'm not active. I'm just... Uh, a larger individual, and I've always been a larger individual. So who's him to say that, you know, me not being on that floor, on the sales floor, running around or whatever, whatever, or being a weekend warrior playing basketball, football with my friends, flag football with my friends, hasn't had anything to do with that particular hip injury. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And I appreciate you that. I appreciate you explaining that. So then how, how did you get from that place then to running marathon marathons? What was the motivation behind that after that conversation with the doctor? Were you just like, I want to show him? <laughs> yes. He pissed me off. So it was yeah. all, it was sheer spite, right? The fact that this doctor told me that me running a marathon or even thinking about running a marathon is the stupidest thing that he's ever heard. And to me, I'm like, I'm not stupid. I'm a very smart individual. Like, who are you to tell me I'm stupid because I want to do something and um, you don't see it for me, right? That's like, you know, Courtney saying, I know you're doing this podcast, but you'll never be a a great podcaster. You, You would never be as good as Amy Porterfield or whoever, whoever, right? I don't know you and you don't know me, but like putting that judgment on, it's like, man, I don't know if we cuss, but if we say F you, dude, like, fuck what you're saying, right? And I think that's the same thing with this doctor was, yo, I'm not here trying to hear what you're trying to say. And if I want to go run a marathon, damn it, I'm going to do it today. I mean, I think there's a great lesson here. And this is something that I learned in a very young age with my dad, who has since apologized to me and has corrected himself. But when I was younger, with my career path, he would always tell me, you're not going to make it. Like, you're not... You're not going to be successful at this. And I was like, watch me, (laughs) you know? And it was the greatest motivator. You know, it was honestly a gift that he ultimately gave me. It was really hard at the moment, but it really pushed me to prove him otherwise. And it sounds like the doctor gave you that gift as well, which is pretty cool. Yeah. I think more than anything, he gave me the gift um, to say, screw you, man. Watch me, watch me work. And um, I can definitely prove you wrong. That's amazing. So after that doctor's appointment, you immediately went and got running shoes, right? And you went to the gym? So I got running shoes, right? I went into the running shoe store. I'm like, I need running shoes and I need them now, right? (laughs) You're like, let's go. It's on, motherfucker. (laughs) Let's go. Um, I get those running shoes. I get to the little fitness center inside of my apartment complex. There's three treadmills. And the only treadmill is open is the middle one, inconveniently sandwiched between Two gazelles. So I'm sizing these guys up. One guy is going like 10 on the treadmill. The other guy is going like nine and a half. I don't know. Nine. I'm thinking to myself, I can at least go seven there. Right? Because I'm sizing these dudes up. Like, they're running effortlessly on this treadmill. Their legs are striding out. They're breathing hard. And I'm thinking to myself, like, I can do this too. But go seven. So I put seven into the treadmill and as the belt was going through my legs, I was thinking to myself, like, 
I don't know what I'm getting myself into, but I'm going to do it. So I, I get on a treadmill. And 15 seconds later, I was on the ground. Oh, wow. <laughs> the way, the sound, my body made hitting oh, that no. moving treadmill <laughs> was like the loudest thing that, that I ever experienced inside a fitness center. <laughs> I hope you weren't injured. Are you no, gonna, okay. Good. I wasn't injured. You know, there was this internal battle of like, do I stop? Do I keep going? I felt like the the treadmill was like rejecting my body or like my body was rejecting the treadmill. But either way, there's so many things that was going on at once that like time slowed down. And the next thing you know, when time sped up, I was on the, I was, I was on the floor. <laughs> and then the guys looked at me and was like, Hey bro, like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, I just lost my balance and then got my stuff and got the hell up out of there. So, um, as I'm leaving the, the fitness center, I'm going home and, um, I get to the door to my apartment and I reach out and have this tattoo on my right wrist that says no struggle, no progress. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, it's a reference to the famous 1857 speech by, uh, Frederick Douglass, um, that goes, you know, if there's no struggle, there's no progress, you know, men who favor freedom yet agitate. Uh, yet deprecate the agitation are men who want um, crops without plowing the land. You know, you want rain without thunder and lightning or men who want the ocean without its law roars. Right. And he goes on in a speech to says like, you know, there, there, the struggle may be a physical one or a moral one. However, to get some type of progress, you have to go through some type of struggle. Mm. And I got this tattoo a while ago, maybe when I was like, I was in my teens when I got it and I got it very young. And I remember seeing that tattoo and it clicked for me. At that moment, I was like, all right, I know what I need to do. I need to go through the struggle. Wow. From hearing your story um, on this other podcast, it sounds like you had a lot of struggles in your younger years, which I actually related to. I've also lost two siblings in my life. So my heart really went out to you and I heard that. And um what has kept you motivated? You know, for I, this is the question that I get a lot from people when they hear about, you know, my story of loss. What has really kept you motivated in your, in your life after experiencing so much loss at, at a young age? Um, I don't know, spite. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great motivator. <laughs> spite is a great motivator, but I, I think it's just the, 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 the sheer will of understanding that your predicament can be a lot better and you have to almost will your way to get there. Mm -hmm. So uh, of course there was a a lot of other factors that went along with that. So to even let people in, you know, before the age of 10, I've had, I had two brothers pass on me. So one, uh, I lived in Detroit, Michigan. Uh, I used to stay next to a crack house and, you know, one brother ended up being selling drugs and he ended up getting killed. And then I had another brother um, died by suicide and I end up seeing his body. Right. And I think that, you know, going through those situations, um, a, you had people telling me, yo, if you don't change your life, you're going to end up like your brothers. And that, that kind of pissed me off. But also, um, the fact that, you know, people already had my future planned out for me. Um, (laughs) and I was still trying to figure that stuff out myself. So, for example, you know, um, when you live in Detroit, Michigan, 
in the, the 90s and 2000s, everybody worked for the big three, which is Ford, GM, and Chrysler. So mm-hmm. my father worked um, 30 plus years at GM. My mother worked for a plant that was like a supplier, like a glass supplier for all of the big three. So I remember being in maybe my, um, in between my sophomore and junior year and my mother coming to me and saying, hey, um, when you graduate, I've already talked to the talked to my supervisor and we can get you in as like a manager in training at the plant and yada, yada, yada. And like, that's a good thing because, you know, you'll start out making a lot more money than I did and all this other stuff. And I remember being like, well, what if I don't want to work at the plant? <laughs> you know, <laughs> because like I see my parents do it, right? They, they spent hours literally, um, you know, taking a screw out of the box and putting it into a piece of a car or whatever they was doing, right? Hard manual labor. Mm. I see how tired they were. And, you know, my thinking was, why would I want to sign up for that? I see what you're going through. Why would I want to sign up for that? And I remember telling my mom, like, you know, I want to go to college. And uh, me and her have this heated debate of, well, I don't know how you're going to pay for college because um, we can't afford it and I can't afford it. You can't afford it, yada, yada, yada. And, you know, that watch me work thing that I learned about myself happened. So the, 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 the next year or my junior year, I played football and I played football for my junior and senior year and ended up getting a football scholarship. That's awesome. So, you know, it was just one of those things of, you know, people already having your life planned out when you don't even have it figured out yet to even make your own steps. Yeah, I can very, very much relate with that. And I I was up against a lot of resistance and struggle because similarly, my parents had a certain path that they envisioned for me and I had to fight really hard, which is so funny. I was actually just talking about this with a friend the other day. I had to fight so hard to pave my own path, but it was a path I didn't even like know what, what I was doing with. You know what I mean? Like similar, it sounds like to you where I was like, okay, I'm not doing that one for sure, but like, what am I doing? You know? And, and I think um, an important aspect of this, and and maybe you can relate to it, was for me personally, I was really just having to follow my own intuition and just know that this one path that my parents wanted me to go down was just not right for me. And to trust that even though I didn't know exactly what I was doing and I was going into very uncharted territory, to just trust that I, I, I somewhat knew what was going on with my intuition, you know, and to follow that. Yes, absolutely. I, I think a lot of of everything I do is about trusting that intuition and um, just knowing, you know, yeah. um, in my book, I write about this thing of having delusional self-belief, right? The notion of you have to believe in yourself so much that everybody else around you thinks you're delusional, yeah. right? I love that. So yeah. that's one of the things that I believe in. Okay, so let's go back to the marathons because I'm sure everyone's wondering. So you you had this experience at the gym and you kept going and you ended up running multiple marathons, right? Yeah. So from the Frederick Douglass speech, um, what happened afterwards, right? The next day I got back on the treadmill. <laughs> I didn't fall, but I went a bit a little bit longer. So, you know, 15 seconds became 20 seconds, came back, 20 became 30, 30 became a minute. Next thing you know, I was running minutes, right? And from there it became minutes to miles. 
And I think for a lot of people listening, it's more about being consistent and persistent in the journey um, versus looking at, you know, dang, I should be further than what I am, right? So I actually took joy in going to the gym every day and seeing progress, right? Some people might call it newbie gains, right? Like, you know, you go to the gym, you haven't been to the gym in a while, and like now you have all these gains. So the same thing happened for me, and it just became momentum. So, you know, eventually I got up to a point where I can run a 5K, which is a, you know, a race where it's like 3.1 miles. I ran a couple of those and found out how fun that was. And then just continued on the journey from 5K to a 10K and then 10K to a half marathon. And on January 1st of 2013, I was like, okay, it's time for me to sign up for my first marathon. And I chose Detroit because, you know, I'm originally from Detroit, Michigan. And I pretty much had, you know, 10 months to um, train and practice for that marathon and to get there. And I ran that first marathon. Took me roughly seven hours to run that thing, but I did it. That's amazing. I mean, what did it feel like after you accomplished that? I, I hope that you feel a sense of pride because that's really, that story is incredible where, you know, you fell off the treadmill, you were feeling super defeated, but you decided to go for it anyways. And training for a marathon is a lot of work. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Training for a marathon. That's a lot. <laughs> so what they don't tell you is that while training for a marathon, you pretty much don't have a life. Yes. <laughs> I have a friend right now that's training and I never see him. <laughs> So, so you pretty much don't have a life. So, say goodbye to your social, to your uh, your social life. That's why mostly tr- uh, runners usually gang up with other runners because you can understand. I think the thing about running a marathon is that it's so hard, right? Like the training is grueling. You don't have friends, or like your friends don't understand you. Forget about happy hours and brunches, right? My wife was like, what are you doing? Like, There's no more brunch. And I was like, not for a while. So <laughs> it, it, it felt good to cross that finish line um, and really put like put my hands up and try out and really understand like, yo, I did this. Um, but one of the other things that I also like tried to celebrate was throughout this whole process, right? So remember I was talking about like every... Every time I went some a little bit further than I, I never went before, I tried to celebrate that, right? So I remember when the first time I ran for five minutes straight, that was a celebration. And then every weekend or just about every weekend, it was like, whoa, I've ran longer than I ever did before. To the point where, you know, in marathon training, most people stop around, stop running around like 18, 19 or 20 miles. And I remember being like, yo, I just ran 20 miles. Wow. And like that was exciting and really being proud of that. So that when I came to the marathon, um, even though I was a little scared because I never ran anything longer than 20 miles, I knew that I can at least get there. And I was just going to let the vibes take me the rest of the way. You should be very proud of yourself because running a marathon is hard. I've actually never even run a marathon and I've been pretty active my whole life and like, you know, gone in and out of running, but marathon is a lot of work. And the fact that you not only did one, but you've done how many now? Eight of them. Wow. So, so initially we know the motivation was spite 
what has been your continuing motivation since then? That sense of accomplishment or? Um, I think it's a mixture of things. Personal satisfaction. Also, I like the the person I am when I'm actually doing like a routine. So I kind of see like marathon trainings like, yo, I'm, I'm, I'm the LeBron of running, even though like I'm not right. But the thing of doing the training, um, eating in a way that's going to feel for your, for, for, for your training. Right. Um, the fact that, um, I'm, I'm putting in this work, like that's what I like the most about training for these races. It's not about like running and encompassing them. It's more about the, the process that comes along with that, that I really enjoy. Um, I would say that. And then brands, you know, you wouldn't believe the countless friends you'll meet on the road of like running a race and being like, yo, this heel suck, right? And they'll look at you and be like, yep. And then it's like, okay. <laughs> it's almost like being a little kid. Like, I like pizza. Do you? And it's like, yep, I like pizza too. And it's like, well, I guess we're friends. So it's the same thing with running running marathons, right? Or just yeah. running races is that, yo, this hill sucks. And the person come back and say, yep, it does. And the next thing you know, you drum up a conversation and you're talking with this person maybe for, you know, two and a half, three hours, sometimes a little bit more that that person becomes friends with you. So I've met countless people um, running races that now that I can just call them up anytime and just be like, hey, I'm in an area, like I need to sleep on your couch or hey, what you got in the fridge? Because I'm coming over for dinner. Have you ever tried CBD products and just felt like you didn't really understand the hype or you felt like they really didn't work for you? Well, there could be a couple reasons why this is happening. One, there are a lot of CBD product companies out there that are not doing it right. Either they don't use a good high quality CBD or there's really not enough CBD in there because in order for CBD to work, it needs to be a certain amount of dosage. And a lot of these companies are lying about how much CBD they actually have in there. Not to mention, I have found personally, and I have read this and heard this from many people, that you need to take CBD consistently in order for it to work. So for me, for example, I deal with chronic anxiety and stress, and I need to take CBD on a day-to-day basis in order to really see a difference in my stress and anxiety. And I personally love Cured Nutrition CBD. If you want to hear more about the products and why they're so amazing and important, definitely check out my episode with their founder, Joe Sheehy. We talk all about CBD. We talk specifically about Cured, why I love them so much. Their farming practices are above and beyond. Everything is organic, really high quality. They show all of their lab work. Uh, you can go and see all of the different batch numbers on their website and see the lab testing and see that Everything that they claim is in there, the levels that they claim, the high quality CBD dosage that they claim is in the products, you can actually see on their website from their tests and from the lab work. So highly encouraged to go check that out. And if you want to try any of the cured CBD products, go to curednutrition.com slash realfoodology, use code realfoodology, and you're going to save 20%. That's cured, C-U-R-E-D, nutrition.com slash realfoodology. Speaking of, what do you have in your fridge? So are there any diet shifts that you've made since you started running that you feel like have helped you? That is an interesting question. Most people think that, you know, with running, like there will be a huge diet shift. And the answer is not necessarily, right? One of the things that I learned throughout this whole journey is that um, I wasn't eating enough. Mm. So, you know. So interesting. 
So, you know, hiring a, a, a nutritionist and, and going through the process, I learned that I wasn't eating. So when it came to for performance wise and trying to run more and try to run and like get better at it and become a better runner, like one of the things that my nutritionist did was like, hey, you got to eat more. You know, so when you start looking at the numbers of like a basal, basal metabolic rate of like a guy that's 300 plus pounds, like 3000 calories, like 3,500 calories a day. And I remember when she had me do a like, I think it's called like 24 hour recall. Um, you know, she looked at my like the 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 numbers and she's like, yo, like you're eating maybe 2000 calories a day on a good day. Oh, and I was like, yeah. yo, like it, did you know, like if you ate more to like to to help with the performance, like you'll probably feel better while running. So um it wasn't a thing of like eating clean versus not or like picking a specific diet. It was more of like, you're doing this activity. And if we run the numbers, say you want to run a marathon, right? At your weight, you're out there for six to seven hours. You're going to burn this many calories. Like, how are you feeling that, fueling yourself to be able to run those miles? And so you can stay on your feet and you can feel better versus being like, oh, eat carbs or don't eat carbs or only eat protein or things of that sort. It's just more been of like understanding the timing of when I do eat and like how much versus the times when I'm not necessarily training. That's interesting. I mean, we do know like from, because I am a nutritionist and from a nutritionist perspective that there are certain foods that will feel you and give you more energy so that you can run faster and run better. Have you noticed any of that at all? Or has she helped you? with that aspect of it or? Um, I, I think one of the things we've just done is like, hey, Martinez, like you about to run this race. Like uh, one of the things you might want to not look into is, you know, not having so much fiber during this run or, or, you know, maybe cut down on your fat intake, you know, during some of these runs, right? Or after you run, make sure you increase your protein intake because like that's when your body is primed for, you know, these nutrients. So it's been more of like timing of specific um, macros versus being like, oh, eat these things, not eat these things. Um, I think that has been helpful. It's like, okay, Martinez, like, you know, you're finna go for this run or you know you're about to be out there for three hours. Maybe uh, the the meals before shouldn't be a high fiber food. (laughs) You know, it shouldn't (laughs) (laughs) it shouldn't be high fiber or high fatty food because you're going to be out there and you're going to have some GI issues. So it's been more of um, the timing on certain food, say certain food groups or certain macros, then, you know, here's a list of all the foods to eat and like stick to those type of things. Because for me and my personality, I don't necessarily roll with that. Yeah. Um, so that's have been more or less my my experience with my nutritionist. You got to do what works best for you, you know? And I always tell people like you are the only one that really knows what's going to be best for you, you know? Like you can work with experts that tell you like, hey, you know, X, Y, and Z is good for you and overall like better for you. But at the end of the day, you got to listen to you, you know? So it's important. So for, yeah. I think a good example is like my nutritionist is like, yo, you got to eat hemp hearts. I'm like, I don't like hemp hearts. Like <laughs> Hemp hearts don't treat me well. Like, why would I want to eat that? 
Yeah, you don't have to eat that. But like not eating hemp, hemp hearts, but understanding, okay, like I can still have chia seed or things of that sort, right? So it's really about um, finding what's best for you, but also advocating for yourself, right? I, I mm-hmm. think when you're having this relationship with a nutritionist or or whoever that you're working with, like whether it's your uh, doctor or things of that sort, um, I think for most people, you have to advocate and be truthful to completely understand um, who you are and what you're going to do. So one of the quotes I always tell my clients is that you're not lying to me, you're lying to yourself, right? Mm. Like I can, I can only help you with what you tell me. So if you tell me something that's a lie, like I can only go based off that versus if you were truthful and honest, we can work within those means. Yes. Oh my gosh. I love that. I really love that. And uh, this is something I talk about quite often on my podcast is advocating for yourself and recognizing that while a doctor, a nutritionist, whoever expert in their field may be an expert overall in like the human body, but you personally are the expert in your own body. And when you're working with someone, it's important to have that balance of meeting in the middle where they really listen to you and your needs and then help you based on, you know, your experience. Because I don't know what it's like to live in your body. You don't know what it's like to live in my body, you know? And so there really is a meeting in the middle. um, And that's where I think you get the best, the best progress. So what is your advice for people that have a goal and maybe they're not feeling super motivated? So what, what kind of keeps you motivated um, one of the things I, I try to tell people is rely on consistency. Like when motivation is is not there, because here's the thing about motivation. It, it's only, motivation is there uh, when there's good times, right? Motivation is the first thing to leave when there's something rough going on. So when there's something rough going on, rely on consistency and pride yourself on being as consistent as possible when motivation is not there. And that's the same thing with me, right? Like I run these races and people are always like, hey, Martinez, why do you do this? Or how do you do it? Or how do I continue to stay consistent? You know, you have to figure out what what care is going to get you there. So for example, for me, it's more about signing up for as many races as possible in a particular year, right? The fact that there are uh, an infinite amount of races in the world that I have not been to or places that I haven't been to that I want to go to and signing up for that race keeps me honest and keeps me active so that I can run that race and have a great time. there. Yeah. I love that. Well, before we go, um, I have two questions for you. One, well, we'll start out with the first one. Is there anything else that you want people to know that we didn't talk about that you feel like is important for people to hear? Yeah, I think that that is, um, is comparison is a thief of joy. Yes. You know, um, I just want people to know that as you're listening to my story, um, you're probably like, I can't run eight marathons. That's impossible. And I want you to know that we all start at day zero. So your day zero may look different from my day zero. My day zero ended up with me like on the ground. Like your day zero may be something different, but you cannot compare those our own, like our experiences amongst each other. The only thing you can do is compare yourself from what you're doing today um, to what you're doing tomorrow. It's not where you started, it's where you're going. So that's the first thing. Comparison is a thief of joy. And then the second thing is have fun. 
life is too short to be going through all of this stuff and to be unhappy and to be hating your own self. Like life is too short to be for self-hate. Like it's too short. So have fun, enjoy yourself, love yourself, leave the haters, leave the hating for the haters. I love both of those messages so much. I actually just had a conversation about that the other day on my Instagram because I just, people just, I don't know, social media. So it just can be, it can be a hateful place. And I'm like, why are we getting our panties in a bunch over the smallest little things? Like, you know, just like let it roll off your shoulders. Like we're not here for a long time. We're here for a good time. You know, let's have some fun while we're here. Well, um, I want to ask you a question that I ask all of my guests before we go. What are your health non-negotiables? So these are things that you do on a day-to-day basis just to, yeah, maintain your health and your energy and things that you do no matter what, part of your routine. Um, one of my health non-negotiables is eating within 90 minutes of me waking up. Um, I'm a better person when I do that. I'm not as cranky. Like it gives me the burst of energy that I need. So like, that's the first thing that I learned is I I, ha- I personally have to eat something within 90 minutes of waking up. So that's a non-negotiable. Even if I got to go somewhere, if I'm traveling, I'm bringing a packet of oatmeal, something. Um, and then the, the last, the, the second non-negotiable is um, never miss two workouts in a row. So the first one is a problem. Like the first one is okay because life comes into it. Missing the second one, that's the start of a new habit. So never miss two workouts in a row. That's really great advice. I love that. So for people listening, can you tell them where they can find you so they can find your book and find your work? Yes, you can find me all over the interwebs at 300 pounds and running. That's 300, spell out pounds and running. You can find me on Instagram, Facebook there. You can also find um, our run club, uh, Slow F Run Club. It's a community of 10,000 members worldwide. Uh, and you can find it at runslowaf or slowafrunclub.com. And then we also got a little book coming out uh, on June 6th called Slow F Run Club, The Ultimate Guide for Anybody Who Wants to Run, which um, provides all types of stories that I experienced throughout my 10 years of running, but also providing a how-to um, in it as well. Most how-to manuals in running is written by professional athletes or former professional athletes teaching you how to run their way. And there's not anybody out there as of yet, except when my book comes out, that's teaching people like how to run in a more enjoyable way and not from a, a lens of a professional athlete. I love that. I think it's going to help so many people. So we'll definitely leave some links in the show notes. And yeah, Martinez, thank you so much for coming on today. I'm very uh, inspired by your story. Thank you for having me, Courtney. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Real Foodology Podcast. If you liked the episode, please leave a review in your podcast app to let me know. This is a resonant media production produced by Drake Peterson and edited by Mike Fry. The theme song is called Heaven by the amazing singer Georgie. Georgie is spelled with a J. For more amazing podcasts produced by my team, go to resonantmediagroup.com. I love you guys so much. See you next week. The content of this show is for educational and informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for individual medical and mental health advice and doesn't constitute a provider-patient relationship. I am a nutritionist, but I am not your nutritionist. As always, talk to your doctor or your health team first. Do you suffer from IBS or other digestive issues? Are you looking for a new podcast to listen to? From the producer of the Real Foodology podcast comes the all-new health and nutrition podcast, Digest This. 
hosted by Bethany Ugardi. You may know Bethany as the face of the popular Instagram page Lil Sipper, or you may have even read her book. Now you can find her wherever you get your podcasts. On Digest This, Bethany examines topics such as gut health, nutrition, the food industry, and highlights specific ingredients that can be beneficial or harmful to your gut health. She also explores non-toxic options in beauty, home, and cooking essentials. If it has to do with your health, Digest This is talking about it. Each episode features an interview with health experts, doctors, and wellness advocates and delivers you information that is, well, easy to digest. Bethany also delivers a weekly segment every episode called Bite of Knowledge, where she highlights an ingredient commonly used in food, skin care, household cleaning, you name it, and gives you the lowdown on the benefits or dangers that ingredient might have in your everyday life. From Botox, potassium, olive oil, and magnesium, all the way to those ingredients you can barely pronounce on the back of your cereal boxes, Bethany has you covered. There's a reason why it debuted at number two on Apple Podcast Nutrition Charts. Check out Digest This on your favorite podcast app. New episodes every Monday and Wednesday. Produced by Drake Peterson and Resonant Media.